Initializing Post Playback. Welcome to MRP, the Metal Robot Podcast, the podcast about all things metal and everything in between. It's episode 50 of the podcast, also marking the start of November. I can already hear the sleigh bells jingling all the way dingling. Is that a sign of the season, or should I get that checked out for something more serious? Asking for a friend here. Coming up, we check back with Ronnie Romero and get to know him on a deeper level. Also, dark symphonic metal band Blackbriar joins us to chat about a dark euphony. Plus, do you care about music videos? Are they still worth making today? And also coming up in a few short moments, we get to check in with this week's latest releases, three albums that are definitely going to be a lot of fun to talk about. All this and so much more, so let's not waste much more time and let's get into the show. I'm Tom McKay and this is the 50th episode of the Metal Robot Podcast. And we're going to start off this episode with the week's latest releases. I'll be honest, I was hard-pressed to find a lot of albums to talk about in the promos, at least. But thankfully, that turned out okay, and we got a couple lying around that were just dying to be talked about. So, we'll start, as all good romances do, with a hint of sci-fi horror. Okay, let me try to read this real quick. Uh, Zoth's Exogalactic. If you haven't guessed already, this is some alien core shit. <laughs> I mean, if you assume this was some, like, fantasy, folk-inspired tech death, I would have to question what genre of fantasy you were referring to, to be honest. Well, okay, Alien Core does not tell you the whole story, because this isn't the stereotypical sound that you would come to expect. Exogalactic is like a sonic collision of Fallujah, Children of Bottom, and Born of Osiris, but also bringing on some groove and thrash metal to add a bit of intrigue to the whole sound. It blends their styles together and is an uncomfortably intense combination that you have to check out for yourself. Listening through, it gives you some gnarly growls and some alien-sounding leads, like uh, on Reptilian Bloodsport and Manuscripts of Madness, All but also a pure blistering attack of drums on Saga of the Blade that'll just have you questioning your reality in places. It's fucking awesome. This ain't the aliens from the fucking Mexican Congress we saw a while ago. No, no, this is some xenomorph shit. Do not sleep on that, oh my god. The technical riffs and rhythms, they will keep you off balance and disoriented for the never-ending assault, and I think that's a good thing here, and I mean that in the best way possible. It's extreme aggression and visceral composition at its finest here. And hey, there are some good melodic moments here that kind of pull back a little bit on the intensity, while also still getting that grit in there, just to help break up the monotony of the whole album. At all, all in all, this is most definitely not an album for the lighthearted, but I'm inclined to say most of you listening right now are probably absolutely down with getting your face melted off in the most ripping fashion possible. I'd give Exogalactic a solid 13 out of 15. So if you're into music that is out of this world, sure, why not? This album is definitely going to be a must listen. When I say out of this world, I of course mean in the horror variety. Oh dear God, that's scary as shit. It's an intense annihilation from the cosmos you won't soon forget. Now let's get a look at some Canadian metal. Well, I say Canadian mostly because of current geography of the project. Long story. But Massive Scar Era's uh, Metal Goes Egyptian... Yeah, that has very little Canada in the title, so suck it, CanCon! Interesting story about these guys, though, uh, because I mentioned Canada by geography, and that's not, that is true, but also there's a bit of a story behind that, because the brainchild of this project, I am sorry if I'm mispronouncing this, Shireen Amur, Emmer, is from Egypt, actually, but she had to leave Egypt for performing metal <laughs> as a female fronted band. <laughs> Ah! You know, funny thing, we actually talked about a lot of that on the show before, previously with the Satanic Panic. This is something that is a huge problem that definitely needs to be talked about a lot more worldwide, not just over here in in, uh, on, in North America, but all over the world. 
Metal Goes Egyptian is exactly what, what the album title describes for you. It's pretty on-brand packaging here. It's a captivating mix of an Egyptian Middle Eastern ensemble with metal music. Shireen's vocals, uh, her screams specifically, are visceral and throat-scratching. Her guitar riffs set a great foundation as well, with the drums and the bass to allow the Egyptian ensemble to sit upon, creating some really good grooves and some great-sounding composition. But here's the real kicker. The, it's the instrumental parts that really sell this album for me, personally. Especially during those interlude bits of each song, where the Egyptian ensemble is given much more room to shine. I will say that though because, aside from the screams, Shireen's clean vocals, eh, they're good, don't get me wrong, but oh my god, the production does not do them any justice here. It feels like she's kind of clashing with the strings and the rest of the ensemble a lot whenever she's clean singing. Like This was especially noticeable on songs like uh, Between Waves, 30 Years, Colorblind, and mostly when the metal production came in as well. It just sounds like this could have been a production issue and not so much a vocal issue. I doubt it was a vocal issue. Uh, but I just wonder if maybe this is either, this could either be a lack of production or if Siren Train is creeping up on me again. But overall, I gotta give Metal Goes Egyptian a solid 12 out of 15. If you're up for a unique fusion of metal and Egyptian melodies, uh, this album is gonna be worth a spin for you. But Maybe it's just me. I would love to get someone on the production uh, end for those clean vocals. Not saying you gotta tune the shit out of those vocals, but maybe there's someone out there who can uh, get them up to about 10 million percent better. That would definitely give this album a solid 15 out of 15, I promise you. Why am I still getting Siren's Rain flashbacks? Oh my god. <sighs> I seem to be getting a lot of black metal on this show. Weird. Totem Messe's Fiction Lust, with a K, because True Cult likes to spell things funny. Fiction Lust hits you with some extreme intensity right from the get-go. Tracks like The Great Simplifiers, Bastards, and Impact Resistance Ego, they give you a pretty good idea right in the beginning what the sound of this album is gonna be. It's blasting, it's noisy black metal, and it's relentless all the way through. Honestly, that's all I can really say about this one, though. <laughs> I wish I could say more about this, but as we move along further into the album, yeah, that's all you're gonna get. It starts to, it's so similar to each other, it starts to blend together over time as we keep going, making it much more difficult to discern track by track where you are, and it, and it can become a problem. Maybe it was intentional, I know black metal has this issue a lot, so maybe this was intentional, but doesn't really make a better sounding album, if I'm being honest here. But I will say, one thing that caught my eye that got me back in back forth here was the title track uh, that closed the album. A whopping 10 minutes long. First of all, any song that is of this sort of style does not need to be that long, but even then, I don't think it was intended to be 10 minutes long. I think this was two tracks, because what in my copy of the album, I got a promo copy of this, uh, there was at least a five-minute song followed by an entire one-minute blank pause for some fucking reason, followed by another song. What was that about, really? Well, what was that? Was that just an issue with a promo copy, or was that something else? I have no fucking clue. I'm recording this before the album even comes out, so who fucking knows at this point? I'm sure that'll be something that I'll uh, find out as I'm putting the episode up, and I'm sure everyone's gonna tell me, no, you were wrong! I'm sure, I'm sure it's gonna happen. Look, overall, if you're a black metal fan, you're into this kind of style, yeah, you'll get a kick out of this album. I, on the other hand, he said so pretentiously, have heard this done better before. I've heard better versions of black metal than what we've got here, if I'm being completely honest. So overall, 10 out of 15, it's not bad for what it is, and again, if you are into this style, you'll get a kick out of it, but I'd be hard-pressed finding myself coming back to this anytime soon, or even completely recommending it to anybody who is not already inducted into the black metal world. Wish I could say more on that. It, again, this gave me almost nothing to talk about. But in the end, that's my opinion, and whether it's this album or any of the others we talked about on this show and this episode, I want to hear from you on this one. Anywhere you are right now, hashtag MRPReviews. Let me know your thoughts. I'd love to hear from you. This show is run by you. I mean, uh, what Matrix lands on a hamster wheel? <laughs> <laughs>
Know what album I should check out next? Send an email, tmckay at themetalrobot.com. That's T-M-C-K-A-Y at themetalrobot.com. You're listening to MRP, the Metal Robot Podcast. Moving on. Tonight, we're joined by a mesmerizing dark symphonic band whose sound can only be described as old fairy tales written by Stephen King. If you haven't heard of these guys already, then you're probably one of the three people who haven't heard Until Eternity from 2017. Seriously, I don't think anybody hasn't heard that by now. And last month, they released their new album, A Dark Euphony. You can get it wherever you listen to music right now. And syncing up with our systems tonight from the Netherlands, I am so excited to welcome Zorkok and Renee Buxom of Blackbriar right here on the Metal Robot Podcast. How are you guys doing? We're doing well, man. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, thank you so much. <laughs> Happy to have you guys here. Uh, like, I gotta, I gotta admit, I'm actually kind of geeking out a little bit here uh, because I had first heard you guys back in college, by uh, through my own radio show, and I first found one of your songs uh, "Until Eternity," and as soon as I heard it, immediately I was like, "All right, well, I'm hooked." There goes my weekend. I'm gonna go through their entire <laughs> discography now. So I, so it's good to have you guys on the show. Uh, so first thing I like to do with bands and artists who have not been on the show before is to uh, give a brief introduction of yourselves and the history of the band. Uh, well, we are Blackbriar, <laughs> two people of Blackbriar, and the, the band in total is six people. We were founded in 2012 by Sora and myself. And uh, at first we started out with two different people in the band. Um, so yeah, to go back a little bit to 2012, uh, me and Sora decided to create this band basically. And then, you know, we found, uh, friends in our neighborhood that wanted to join us, which was Bart, uh, who, who's currently still in Blackbriar. Uh, and back in those, uh, days, Frank and Rene were also part of the band. And yeah, we were, we didn't know what we were doing at all. So later, <laughs> later in, uh, you know, it took us like five years to figure out a good direction for Blackbriar, which was also when you uh, basically heard us for the first time with Until Eternity. That was the first song where we, you know, had a feeling of uh, this is what we need to do. Before that, it was completely different. But you know what I want to do? I want Sora to tell this story because I, I this uh -oh. is a long story. And she's <laughs> way better at it. <laughs> so can we just go back a little bit and have Sora tell it? Sure. But I, I thought you were missing the like the real exactly. beginning of of how we um, started with the idea of starting the band. Actually, yeah, okay, it was but you when we. Yeah, was wait, 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 Sora, oh. wait. You need to start all over. <laughs> you you okay. cannot add on to my story. <laughs> to the genesis, <laughs> we go. Okay, so uh, me and Renee, uh, we met at, um, uh, we studied music and sound design. That's why we both met each other. We were already making music, but it was completely a different style. And we decided to go to a concert from Slash and um, Hillstorm. The band Hillstorm was playing the support act. And I and Renee as well were so impressed that we we said to each other, oh, this is what we are supposed to do. So we came home, started to find uh, band members right away. Um, <laughs> and that's where we uh, Blackbriar was born, uh, which was basically a lot of a lot different style in the beginning, a lot more hard rock and mm. which really didn't fit my voice at all. So the first five years was finding our own sound. And uh, we finally did with uh, the song you mentioned, Until Eternity. Mm -hmm. Now, it, within my, like, how would you describe the sound of Blackbriar nowadays? Because I, I know on Wikipedia it says alternative metal, gothic rock. Uh, <laughs> but how would you it's describe so difficult. it? difficult. Yeah. Uh, I guess people say it's like symphonic metal. So we just go along with it. But I think it's very difficult because... Yeah, it's a lot, I think, a lot of different elements, gothic, uh, yeah. Yeah, there's definitely a lot going on with the sound. And a lot of it is, uh, it, it, for me at least, I know it's hard to pin down. I know there's like the terms, of course, you know, gothic rock, alternative metal, <laughs> symphonic metal. Uh, but at the end of the day, I, I only hear Blackbriar. And with that in mind, let's talk a bit about the influences here. You guys mentioned that you went to a Hailstorm concert and Slash was there as well. Yeah. Uh, but in terms of the influences for Blackbriar, 
uh, especially when compared to Zora, your voice uh, being compared to the likes of Kate Bush and Amy Lee. What was the vocal styling that you were drawing from for this, along with where was the music being drawn from? Um, well, yeah, Kate Bush, like you mentioned, is like my big inspiration, actually. Oh, yeah. Even, even before we started the band, that was uh, like, I really looked up to her, listened to the music a lot. But yeah, as I said, Hailstorm was actually one of the inspirations as well. But luckily that changed because it d didn't fit me at all. But uh, for me, it, it, the basics, uh, from the bass, it's really Kate Bush, yeah. And uh, Renee, can you talk on the in influences for the music? Well, uh, we have a very, uh, you know, untraditional uh, writing style. So to be honest with you, when I write the music, I'm mainly inspired by Sora's voice and her lyrics. Which is, you know, obviously when we started this band, we had all kinds of bands that we liked and, you know, different uh, type of inspiration. Um, but we weren't in metal music. So this whole, you know, metal scene where we ended up in was all new to us. So even when we basically wrote our first metal song, or if you can call it that, um, we had no idea of bands around us. Uh, you know, we didn't know what, what style of music we were actually making until somebody else labeled it as symphonic metal. Mm -hmm. um, when you go back to inspiration, we, we always, you know, write with having the, the vocals and the melodies and the lyrics first, and then we add the music to it. So, you know, I can honestly say that Sora is the biggest inspiration actually for the music as well. Now, uh, I do... I, I promise we are going to talk about the new album, A Dark Euphony, uh, which is due out uh, for those who are not aware, September 29th. It should be out by the time this is out. But uh, I want to quickly ask a quick question about Until Eternity. I'm sure you've gotten a million questions on that, but especially with the video being uh, like on, on your YouTube channel, dwarfing every other video as of, <laughs> nine, as of right now, 19 million views, give or take. Yeah. Did So when that came out and... Did it pop off immediately and or did it? Oh. Okay. Well, did the success of the song surprise you? It really, very much. Yep. It's still, we still don't know how it what happened. happened? <laughs> <Because> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> every time we, every day we woke up, we looked at the views and it was uh, like the first couple of months, it was like uh, nothing. nothing. But one day it suddenly like magic <laughs> somehow it got picked up or something like uh, maybe recommended under another video uh yeah and every day it it went bigger and bigger and we were we, we are still surprised <laughs> yeah yeah just looking at your phone seeing the view count <gasps> yeah. exactly. and it was like uh you know at first you have like 500 views which to us was already crazy right so we were like oh 500 views and then a couple of days later it was a thousand which was for us we were like oh my god a thousand views <laughs> but then it went you know in into the crazy numbers five thousand 15,000. And then we thought we were rich, you know, we thought we made it. <laughs> but then we it kept on it. going. Exactly. <laughs> it kept on going. It kept on going. And, you know, it, it went it went just crazy. And we couldn't figure out what happened exactly. So, and we still don't know what happened. But yeah, it, it basically that one music video with the song gave us the, you know, the exposure that we felt like we had been searching for. So yeah, that's that's very grateful for it. But yeah, I wish we knew what to do <laughs> <laughs> so we could repeat it. <laughs> it's like, what, it's like, what the hell happened here? Uh, yeah. <laughs> exactly. But, well, in many ways, aside from just the music of the song, I feel like the video also is very stunning. I mean, that's kind of uh, a talking point of all your videos, really, they are visually appealing. They're visually stunning. And even with the most recent singles of Crimson Phases, My uh, Faces, My Soul's Demise, Cicada, like these aren't, for me at least, they're not just music videos of a single. They're a cinematic story that's just set to banger music. So <laughs> how does, with that in mind, how does a typical Blackbriar music video come together first of all thank you so much <laughs> that is yeah. exactly what we're going for so uh, like a little movie uh that uh accompanies the yeah tells the story even more with the song you know um it's it's like a second passion of us so we do a lot of our videos ourselves 
And I usually come up with some idea when I write the lyrics and I already see something and I'm like, sometimes we even film um, uh, footage when the song hasn't even been recorded yet. <laughs> so, <laughs> because I just wrote the lyrics and I know that's what I want. So yeah, it's it's a big passion of us as well. And that's why, yeah. We love to do it. Yeah, I mean, you can definitely tell there's a lot of the st- of the story of the music videos that they are they're set to the lyrics rather than to the mood of the video. Because you know, most music videos they have the band performing like rocking out, like yeah, this fucking metal. And then in this <laughs> case, it's like it's yeah, yeah, Zora is there, and there are scenes where she's singing along with the lyrics. But a lot of the scenes, it feels like it's more focused on the story of the song. So have you already at that point decided on what the singles are going to be as they're as you're still writing? Yes. It's, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's actually uh, we decide what the singles are going to be based on if I have a cool idea for a video. <laughs> so <laughs> it's, it might not be the best uh, way to pick a single, but <laughs> yeah, be, because it. you know my soul's demise, the, the one of the, our you know most recent singles, it should maybe not be a single. You know, in terms of, I think the, it still works. Effectively, <laughs> it works because we yeah. made it work. I think, <laughs> but you know, usually you would not go for a focus track that is either that dark or that slow when you you right. know you want to have a banger out there, especially in in early stages of a, a new album release. Um, but you know, we had such a great video idea for it, and we had already filmed it the whole thing before even recording the song. So, you know, it, it was a, a very strange uh, situation, but yeah, we just went for it. And that's what we usually do, you know, like Sora said, if she, if she has a good video idea, then we will produce it, you know, and, and just go for it. And then we'll see if the song will work out as well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like, please work. God damn it, please work. <laughs> exactly. So... With that in mind, let's now finally start talking about that new album, A Dark Euphony. It is due out September 29th at the time of this recording. Of course, by the time this episode comes out, the album should be released. But since time is a bit wibbly-wobbly and has no real meaning in the 2020s, beyond the first three singles, what kind of reactions are are you hoping to see from fans with the deep cuts? Yeah, I mean, you know, we're always looking for the for the, the, you know, the, the things that are most common. Uh, we hope people like it. That's, <laughs> that's most important. <laughs> Hoping people like it is a good goal to aim for, yeah, I, exactly. I would, I would but, assume. But the, but the funny thing is that that's mainly also the only thing that we're hoping for. Right. So we just hope that, you know, either Blackbriar fans or people who are, you know, new, uh, newly discovering us or whatever, that they like the music. And yeah. Sora probably has something no, to just, add yeah, here. No, but. That, it, that it makes them feel something, you know? Yeah, that's mm. an, uh, an emotion. <laughs> any <Yeah>. emotion. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, anger, no. Anger, no. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, in terms of deep cuts, I mean, I actually had a chance to uh, listen to the full album yesterday, and dear God, I'd never been so entrenched in an album like with this one. Like, I actually, yesterday, and I even joke, I had other shit to do that I had to get done. And I'm just like, no, I'm still on Thumbelina, please. <laughs> but uh, but for me, actually, the, the funny thing is, I mentioned the song Thumbelina, but the standout for me actually had to have been Bloody Footprints in the Snow. Absolutely oh, yeah. dark, sinister, yet enchanting. Something straight out of a horror movie, like, I don't know, The Conjuring or Annabelle. Sure, why not? But what was, so I I want to talk about that song for a second. What was that song about? And was there anything different that you were doing with that song compared to the rest? Yeah, it's a very heavy song, I think. And it's inspired by a mythical creature called the Wendigo. And Mm -hmm. it's um, a Native American legend and uh, is seen as the embodiment of greed and selfishness. And they, uh, they are said to be cursed to wander the, Northwoods, eternally seeking to fulfill their voracious appetite for human flesh. Right. <laughs> oh yeah, windigos sound amazing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they sound like just gentle creatures. Yeah, um, exactly. It was actually one of the first songs that we wrote yeah, for yeah, this yeah. album. Really? And and at that point, we didn't know because we never, or at least we have never, but we never write concept albums. So it's it's literally song by song by song. We're inspired by something. We write a song onto the next. 
And it's also not like we had like 15 songs for this album and we chose 11. We just wrote 11 songs and all of those <laughs> went on the album. Um, so this one was early stages and we were very much trying to go into the direction of that specific song for the whole album. But right. then, you know, we, we listened to it a couple of times and we were like, hmm. And Sora especially was, ah, I, I might want to write a little bit more romantic songs for this album as well. So, you know, uh, our inspiration and the whole writing process just, it goes from left to right. But, mm -hmm. you know, when you look at it in in, in total, the whole album, f to me at least, feels like a Black Briar album. And, mm -hmm. and, and yeah, so it was at that stage still uh, uncertain if we were going for such a hard album. Right. In, in terms but of... We were, we were very excited about it, I remember, when yeah. we first had the first draft. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was like, oh man, this is, this is, if we can do a whole album like this, it's going to be yeah. amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, we're going to cut it off right there for now. That was Zora and Renee of Blackbriar. The new album is A Dark Euphony. It's out now. And in the next episode, we'll dive deeper into the album's stories and also really talk about that debunking of writing concept albums. That I thought was super interesting because these guys are known for, for concept writing in their songs. So we're saying that's not true now? Where'd that come from? We'll ask them next time. Coming up, we wrap up with singing powerhouse Ronnie Romero, and we gotta talk about music videos and whether people actually watch them. The results are really surprising. This is the Metal Robot Podcast. We're coming right back. You can stay up to date with all things Metal Robots. Uh, but what if I don't want to? Well, that's good for you. Oh, and don't mind the wall of death hurtling towards you. The what? Oh, what the fuck? Oh, God! Oh, God! Everyone else in the pit, here's what you need to know. Facebook and Twitter. At the Metal Robot. Instagram. At the Dot Metal Robot. Because some dickhead got to it before me. Oh, my legs! Follow for all the latest updates on the Metal Robot and the Metal Robot Podcast. Ever wanted to take Metal Robot interviews on the go, but had this happen? Ted, I charged this last night. For fuck's sake! <laughs> Well, we can't solve a bad phone battery. You can take the interviews you love with you wherever on MRP Throwbacks. Be sure to hit save for when you want this on your evening drive to the venue. I'm just a troll. Like, I just I just don't give a, a crap. Can I say that? Uh, honestly, I've been saying fuck this entire time, so uh -huh. by all means. MRP Throwbacks. Only on Spotify, SoundCloud, and Apple Podcasts. You're listening to MRP, the Metal Robot Podcast. Welcome back. This is the Metal Robot Podcast. I'm Tom McKay, and I'm glad to have you here with us tonight. Now, what do you think about music videos? That's the question I have to ask you, because Loudwire went on Twitter, and they put out a poll. They were asking fans of Twitter, or X, I guess it's called now. I really don't like that name. Uh, they were asking, do you look forward to music videos, to new music videos, with two options? I love new music videos. And no, just the song is fine. Out of 1.5k votes as of this recording, more people want just the song. But, this was the part I found really interesting, the result is so split down the middle that the poll is preparing for a wall of death before our very eyes. As of recording, a 50.3% said no music videos. With, of course, only one response being my favorite from Finn71. If it's Electric Callboy, I do. And yeah, I kind of agree with that. I gotta agree with that. That is so true. With that in mind, I had to... I thought that was an interesting question to ask. So with that in mind, I had to ask what your thoughts were to towards my audience now on music videos, both as music listeners and, because I also know my audience, as music artists. On Twitter, Discord as well. Yes, we have a Discord, and as well as a couple other Discords. And I also asked a bunch of my coworkers in my radio job what their thoughts were on this. And the responses so far were varied quite a bit. Like, I'll get into the audio responses I was able to record from my colleagues in a bit, but just looking at the... Uh, that the musician side to start with from social media and on Discord, we had uh, Snake Oil, the band, saying that we like making music videos, even if the return on investment is meh. The goal is to share our music with a wider audience. For indie artists and small labels, videos can be so hit or miss. 
and Pita Vurania uh, said, quote, We've noticed videos for us are make or break to a track getting noticed, not only because people like to see faces, but because the social algorithms perform so much better with video clip content as well. And that wasn't exactly an isolated incident. We had a couple of musicians who have been very clear that they like making music videos. I mean, we were just talking with the Blackbriar earlier in this episode. And music videos are a big part of their image. People like their music videos. They love making them as well, to the point where, uh, I think it was in the first part here, where they even said that they make the music videos right as the songs are written, but before they've even chosen what the singles are going to be. They just knew. So it's pretty clear. Musicians and music artists alike, they love making these videos. And I don't blame them as well. Like... Aside from the fact that they are, as mentioned, pretty essential to the uh, to the promotion campaign, they're also just fun to make, but they're also expensive. That's kind of a big problem that I think uh, musicians kind of have to deal with when making music videos. And that's why I thought this topic was interesting, because they are expensive. They're fun to make, but they are also expensive to make. And... If they're expensive to make, you want to make sure that they're going to be worth it in the end. So, do listeners care about music videos? Well, it's kind of hit or miss there. Like, even uh, Pete of Urania was saying uh, in the follow-up, As a listener, I'm not overly bothered. I wouldn't go out of my way to watch a music video if the song was available to stream. We had Metal Mama saying, As a content creator and avid listener, yes. I get stoked when I hear about a new video premiere. Obviously, you don't get to run over to MTV and check it out anymore, but it doesn't change what you feel. It's not just the music we're looking at or digging on when there's a video. It's the visuals, the storytelling, the creativity, and how it enhances the song. And that is a pretty strong, uh, strong contender for yes. And that is one of the only few responses I got in that corner. Everybody else was kind of either just a no or meh, like Dracula the Slamlord. Sometimes I don't watch music videos often, but I do sometimes, especially for artists I like. And if they make interesting videos like Ice Nine Kills, good example of an artist that does good music videos. But I was kind of curious as well what the normies might think. In my radio job, we work, of course, in radio where you would think there's a lot of avid music listeners, but I also work in political talk radio as a technical producer. So a lot of them, some of them can be music listeners, but a lot of them are not. And what I heard from them? Generally speaking, no. Not really. It's not really something that I worry about when it comes to my favorite music or my favorite music artists. I don't get worked up about new videos or look forward to them. <laughs> I don't need a music video for every single song or even every single single. I'm going to go with a giant, no use making music videos anymore. Mm. It's 2023. We've got digital. And that's just not selecting a few out of the blue. That was an overall uh, general feeling towards music videos. Kind of, yeah, they're okay, I'll check them out maybe, but I don't get excited for them really anymore. And that's just, and that's not even avid music listeners, there's a couple in there, but most of them are casual listeners. I mean, I, I'll listen to new songs, but maybe I'm just of the generation now where I listen to what I already know, not necessarily something that's brand new. But of course, as mentioned earlier, Music artists love, they love making videos. Uh, as mentioned, bands like Blackbriar, they turn it into an art form. So maybe there is a place in the middle that we can work towards. So I had to ask my colleagues, what would they get excited for? What got them excited for music videos in the past? The last time I think I was totally excited about waiting to see a music video was when Thriller came out in about 1985. When Michael Jackson used to do like small movies for his music videos. Um, those were fun. It was something that was beyond just the song. Much Music was counting down to the release of Thriller. I think that's the only one that has ever excited me. And that right there, the voice you just heard was Scott Radley of The Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. And he and he makes a really good point. Uh, and so did Dave as well, Dave Woodard, who was a news anchor there as well. He made an excellent point, both of them, that 
Thriller, Michael Jackson's Thriller was an event that you looked forward to because, well, Michael Jackson, sure, but also it was an event. So how can we replicate that for our audiences as metal musicians? Because it's very clear that there is a way to get listeners excited about music videos. Electric Callboy's doing okay for that, and of course Blackbriar has stunning music videos. But for the average music fan, how can we get them hooked? Well, on the one hand, it does help to have an audience that you have a connection with, and this kind of makes its way back to the Taylor Swift conversation we had in the last episode. But make it an event. The music, at least the first single for this, uh, for your press campaign, for that new album. I'll give you an example. In the metal world, uh, Event Sevenfold has done this so damn well that it's almost cliche for them to make events out of their music videos. Think back to when the stage came out, the, the album. When they were uh, doing the promotion for that album, there was almost no promotion, really. It was just one music video, the stage, and there was no notes on what the album is going to be. It's just a song, one song. That's all we had to go off of. And a couple of teaser leaks that were happening elsewhere. One thing that did happen was a live stream on top of the Capitol Records building where the band was performing a couple songs, notably the stage, as well as a couple other songs to close out the night. And right, and this went for about an hour or so, not even that, all the way to midnight where right at midnight in that live stream, it was announced the stage, the album, is out now. It was a surprise release and it fucking worked. The reason being, that live stream acted as anticipation for that album. You knew something was going to get announced at the end of this. Why else would they be doing a YouTube-specific live stream on top of their new record label's building? Like, that does not normally happen. So as fans, you got excited. Like, what is going to happen here? Are they going to perform a new song? Are they going to make an announcement? Are they going to tell us the release date for this new album? What's going to happen here? Fast forward a couple years later, well, a couple, quite a few years later, and the first single for this latest album, Nobody, the song Nobody, had was a huge event for people because they built anticipation again, a live stream on YouTube that had a countdown over days and people were tuning in. I was there in that live stream right as the music video was premiered officially on that live stream. I don't remember the exact figures for who was watching at the time, but it was a, a lot more people you would come to expect from these kinds of things. It was an ongoing live stream with a countdown. That's all it was, and it was more than enough to drag people in to get, wait, and wait, and wait to see what we're gonna get here. And we got a music video for a new song and the announcement of a new album. And that event alone was more than enough. Even if you were a bit iffy on the quality of the song, if you could not really get into like the style they were producing here, you could at the very least get hyped for, oh shit, like you got hyped before you even watched the music video. Music videos, people, like despite what we've heard already, listeners are not unexcited for music videos. But the problem is you're going to get a lot of music videos out there that people are not excited for. And it's not just about the quality of the music video. Sure, most people get a bit tired of just seeing those performance-based music videos where it's just a band performing and lip-syncing to their recordings. I'd want that music integrated into a video, not just a band lip-syncing to the song somewhere and then they just kind of make it look like a band playing a song. For the most part, I'm not even looking at the screen when it's playing off of YouTube. I just got my phone face down on the mattress. Sure, those are boring. But people do get excited for music videos. They can get excited for music videos. You just gotta be able to work towards that. And you've gotta be able to understand why other bands can get that to work and see what you can do to get that to work. And I think the first step is to try and establish a connection with your audience. And for that, I seriously, seriously, I'm not even joking here, go back to the Taylor Swift episode I did last, last episode, because we talked all about what she does for that. But find a way to build that connection and rapport with your audience and turn those first singles into events. The hype will build itself from there. You've got to work towards it, of course, but it works. 
But of course, you know, at the end of the day, that's my take on this. And of course, we heard some thoughts as well from other people. Uh, once again, thanks to uh, Scott, to Ben, to Will, to Dave and Jen uh, from 900CHML for their help on this one, as well as to you for giving your thoughts in as well. Uh, I'd love to hear... Anybody else who has who would love to talk more about this, I'd love to hear you on this one. This is a fascinating topic to talk about, and I want to hear more uh, about what your thoughts are and even how you think music videos could become interesting. What interests you for music videos? Let me know. You're listening to MRP, the Metal Robot Podcast. And finally for tonight, let's get back to our chat with Ronnie Romero. His new album, Too Many Lies, Too Many Masters, is out now and marks the first album where he had 100% involvement in the writing process. Last episode, we talked about the new album as well as his involvement in it. But tonight, I wanted to shift gears a bit. What do I mean? Well, let's find out. This is Ronnie Romero, part two on the Metal Robot Podcast. So we're going to continue on here. Uh, in we've we've gone through a lot of the stuff we've talked about for this new album, which, uh, as as a reminder for those who are listening, it's Too Many Lies, Too Many Masters. By the time this episode's out, you can go check it out. Uh, but in part two here, I kind of want to delve a bit more into the person behind this new album, behind the music, as I believe that music is shaped by our individual experiences. And in this case, I kind of want to start a bit earlier, if that's okay. From what I understand, you grew up in uh, Chile, in Santiago. Were there any pivotal moments that you want to share or experiences as a child that shaped you and your music? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Since I was a kid, I grew up in a, and I was raised in a family of musicians. You know, all, all, my, all my family, they were musicians. My grandfather was a saxophonist. My father was a singer. My mother, she used to sing and play the guitar. My, my brother, he's a drummer. Um, so I grew up with instruments in my house. I, I used to have a drum kit in my room. You know? <laughs> no, really? So, so Ronnie Romero behind the kit. kit yeah. This is something I, I kind of want to see now. Do you still know how to play drums or was this uh, a, a life gone past? If that makes any no, sense. No, I, I can play drums. I can play drums. Yeah. I'm nice. Not, yeah. Yeah. I'm not my cornoy, but you know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I grew up with that. You know, my, my, my older brother, he was a drummer and he also, he, he was a huge fan of the police. So the technique mm -hmm. was very important in that way. And, uh, Imagine for a seven-year-old kid to have a drum kit in your room. <laughs> there was hell of a fun. Oh, yeah. So, you know, yeah. So, um, yeah, you know, I grew up with that around, you know, the pianos around and guitars and equipments and all this stuff. So, so I, when I, I remember when I, when I decided to become a rock musician and I put my first band together, I was like 15 years old with schoolmates. And, you know, we were going to some places on Saturday night to play for 20 bucks or whatever, you know, for a couple of beers or just for fun. And and my father, who was he was coming with us in the truck, you know, loading, load out, waiting for us outside, you know, to <laughs> to pick us up back to house everywhere. And, you know, it's, it was it was it was um, it was very funny. It was, it was very enjoyable. Um, and, you know, that was that's why it's uh, it, music was always uh, very important part of my life uh, since I was a little kid. Well, given that it was a very important part of your life, it, it must mean that you also figured out that you could sing pretty early on. When did you learn that you could sing? Uh, yeah, it was a very early age where, um, you know, obviously when you have this high-pitched voice when you were a kid and 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 uh, suddenly it's not there anymore. Uh, <laughs> but I remember, uh, I remember, you know, my family, they were, they were very religious at that time. And we were going to church every Sunday, and uh, and I started to sing in the in the choir, you know, and um, on Sundays, and it was a kind of a gospel choir, and and everybody said, "Oh, you know, this kid can sing," and then suddenly my voice changed, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and then uh, that was the time where I started to listen rock music, especially Deep Purple and White Snake and Journey. Kansas, Boston, all those classic bands, Pink Floyd, and and um, and then uh, I think uh, I always tell about this because when the people say you're very talented, you're a great singer, but I always say that probably my main uh, talent is to impersonate people, you know, yeah. <laughs> because uh, more than more than to be a singer. Because I remember I was since an early 
stages, I was trying to impersonate Ian Gillen and David Coverdale, you know, in my room in front of mirror, you know, pretending to be that singer from the Made in Japan. Yeah. You know, and, and uh, it, it works re- really well. And th- so then when we put this band together for the first time with my schoolmates, and they, we got the Settlers playing Credence and Eagles and Jimi Hendrix, Led Zeppelin, Deep Purple, and all this stuff. It was pretty easy to me to sing those and to like uh, impersonate them. So it's 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 funny to think in that way. Like uh, this, that's probably my main talent. Yeah, and it it's definitely come to good use. I would say uh, after all these years. <laughs> um, <laughs> now, obviously, in musical creativity as well. Now, going years further, uh, can or even back then, uh, can also be shaped by non-musical experiences. So was there any anything of that sort, like non-musical sources of inspiration that you drew from in your projects? Like any books, films, art, people? I, absolutely, absolutely. I think, uh, I believe in everything in life. It's, it's kind of an experience you can use in music, especially when you're writing music. Uh, mm-hmm. in, my, in my case, for example, yeah, I grew up in a, I grew up in a tough... Uh, it was a tough life when I was a kid. You know, we were we were living in Chile. It was a country was coming out of this uh, dictatorship, and it was uh, there was not too much open to to international music, international artists. I remember the first time I went to the show. It was like nineteen ninety six. It was Rainbow coming to South America. It was mm. one of the first shows I saw. It was after the dictatorship, and uh, you know, it was really hard to get music from Europe. So you needed to import the special, you need to ask especially to the record store to bring the album and it was very expensive. And so now I think all those struggles uh trying to trying to get music and to 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 listen to your favorite bands, it was it's, it's part of the experience that you can put on the uh and then also, you know, I I love I love to watch movies and to read books and all the stuff. And 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 even in this in this album there is a couple of songs that I've are based on a couple of documentaries I was watching on YouTube or whatever, you know. Mm-hmm. So it was like it depends on the moment. That's what I said before. I don't need the I don't need the, to go to the mountain to get the music. It's like a, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I know that I need to write a, a song, and then suddenly I'm watching a documentary of a lost civilization, and then gives me an idea. Then I go, I write, and then the, we have a song, you know. So it's um, that's the way it works. Okay, and I know you were mentioning uh, importing music. Now I know. That you didn't. That you're currently in Spain right now, I believe. Is that correct? I live in Romania. Romania. Okay. Uh, so I. So I. Uh, yeah, because I know when I was doing my research uh, before this interview, uh, I was looking at Wikipedia. Not the best sources to look at, by the way, if you're in school. But I. It's. It said that uh, you moved there in 2009. I think. Uh, were you still in Chile before that? Yeah. Yeah. I moved okay. from Chile to to Spain. Yeah. Okay, and I know now. I don't know the 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 economic and political dynamics of Chile before that time, but I know you were mentioning that they just came out of a dictatorship, of like a much much earlier. When the internet started coming around, what uh, if it came around early enough in Chile? Did that make finding music much easier, or were you still having to like search for it or uh, through the record stores? It was um, it was the early '90s where where the internet started to come to the country, um, um, and I remember, yeah, I mean, it was at that time it was impossible to get uh, music from out of South America, so you needed to import. Um, you needed to go to the record store and ask, "I want I want to have this album." Uh, it happens to me. I remember the first one I I asked to import. It was a uh, Dream Theater. Images and words, and we're talking about early nineties. That was the that album is from 90, 80, 81, 90, 91, I think. I believe. I think so. so yeah. Imagine, yeah. So imagine that. Uh, so you need to wait for a couple of weeks until he comes. You need to you need to go to the record store very often. Is he arrived? No, maybe tomorrow. So you need to go back. You know, like no. <laughs> uh, all the time like that. And then I remember uh, there was a radio station in Santiago called, um, I don't remember the name, but they were putting uh, music. So the only way to get those songs, it was to have a, a recording thing. So you put a tape. Mm. So while the come is coming, you put it to record it, you know? So then, so then you have a, then you have an, a tape with a compilation of all your favorite songs. 
but with all the advertising from the uh, radio station in the middle. <laughs> so that was the only way. And I remember to have, for example, some Deep Purple albums uh, compilated. Mm. And, you know, you were putting the name right in hand. Like, this is Deep Purple made in Japan, whatever, you know. So that's, that was the only way. So it was it was really complicated. It sounds complicated. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> <laughs> I'm hearing these stories of somebody who was who wasn't even born around that time. I was like 97, uh, late 97. So I know about these kinds of techniques. And as somebody who also works in radio, I know the commercials can be a problem there. But uh, yeah, that's a, that's a fa- that that is extremely fascinating, and for me at least to hear about. But also sounds extremely difficult. I'm glad I have the internet. Holy yeah, shit. I mean, yeah, we're, we're born. We're we are now in the age where everything is on hand, like really fast. So you know, I w- you want to listen something, you just you know do it, and it's pretty easy. But it, at that time, it was really complicated. That's why I think it was pretty emotional uh when a band is 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 bringing a new release comes out you know i i remember that i was waiting for that and then you go to the record store you get the album and then you didn't know what is going to be inside <laughs> no one no what is before the release you have two three four songs video clips and the artwork is around uh six months before and then suddenly when the album is released there's no surprise um, so, mm-hmm. you know, at that time it was, you were coming back home with the album, you open it, you didn't know what kind of picture you're going to have inside, if there's going to be lyrics or not, uh, you know, you were reading the credits, like, uh, you know, it's, it was a different, it was a different time. Yeah, no kidding. Um, so, um, so going going back to towards like the present day with this new album, Too Many Lies, Too Many Masters, um, now, when it comes to the personal side of the album, are there any specific tracks from this album that hold a special place in your heart, either because of their lyrical content or the emotional depth that was poured into them? And can you share any stories behind some of those songs? Yeah, I mean, all the songs for me are important because it's it's, it's my first solo album. And, you know, yeah. the first time that I'm writing everything, even when I wrote many songs before for my band, Lords of Black, in the, especially in the, for, in the first two albums, and uh, for... For Michael Schenker, I did a couple of songs and, you know, uh, but the first time writing everything, it's for me, it's very special. But obviously, obviously every song has has a story uh, because of the lyrics, a uh, uh, couple of songs because I was, uh, you know, there is a song, with, it's dedicated to my son, Oliver, which is not 10 years old now. Mm-hmm. So that's probably the most special song because I wrote this song especially for him. Um, and, uh, but then every song has something, uh, very, very related with, uh, with the experience of, of mine. So I would say that uh, the complete album is, is, is totally, is totally related to, to my emotions. Now, um, in this line of questioning of ask, of asking about Ronnie Romero and getting to know Ronnie Romero, I was going to also ask about hobbies and interests. Like when you're not making music, how do you like to spend your free time? And then I looked again at your discography since 2020 and was like, okay, new question. Do you even have free time? <laughs> so many <laughs> albums coming out. A lot. Actually, I have a lot of free time. Okay, I'm, good. I'm not, not going to lie. <laughs> uh, yeah, because, you know, it happens when you go to the studio. You can make a record in a week and that's it. You know, if and then you have a lot of free time. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's not like you're... 24/7 working in the songs you know so it's, it's, a, it's a mistake from the people. it's like you know you go to you get the songs you go to the studio in 5 days you have the album and then that's it you know fair enough <laughs> so uh yeah i have a lot of free time and i love it you know i spend especially in my house with my wife we we love to travel everywhere we have three dogs that i i take care of them every time i'm at home and i love that you know i love to do gardening in my house Mm. We have a big garden and, you know, actually today I was mourning the road uh, since early in the morning, you know, so uh, I was doing gardening, gardening all day. We love to take the bikes and go for a ride in the in the forest, uh, you know, that kind of stuff. But normal stuff also. It's, mm-hmm. I'm not the kind of, you know, as I say before, this mystical thing that I, you know, I, 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 um, I do my uh, my uh, my sessions of yoga and all that kind of stuff. No, um, <laughs> it's just a normal life, you know. I have free time. I watch the TV. I love to watch the TV. 
um, and or to read a book or whatever it comes to to that moment. Looking ahead of this uh, of right now of this new album, what do you, what impact do you hope that too many lies, too many masters will have on your career and on if we're gonna go super epic on the uh, broader music scene? Well, uh, I know that the. I'm I'm not inventing the the wheel <laughs> with the album, <laughs> but I really believe, especially for the people who's following my career, um, um, you know they they're gonna like this because it's the first time that it's they're gonna listen like the real musician that I am, not just singing other people's songs, but you know because are my songs is what I want to tell, how I want to sound. Uh, the band is 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 constructed around me. And, uh, you know, you can hear my influences on, on the album. And then also the people that never listened about me before, I think they're going to be interested because it's a mix of a lot of influences, especially from the 70s and the 80s, uh, which is, you know, mostly the music that we we all love. And, um, and, and so then I expect like, uh, I mean, I know because I saw it already. There was a, there was a lot of success with the first two singles. And I'm really glad that the people is surprising in a good way because they were probably expecting something more standard or flat. But they, you know, they check that I can really do my own stuff and not to be in the safe side of under the wing of any other great musician, you know. Now, we've got a couple minutes here left. Uh, I do want to quick, quickly... Uh ask about, you know, what, what are your plans for after this album? I know there is a tour coming up with dates. There's a couple dates coming up pretty soon. And then there's more dates in January of next year. Link in the podcast description if you want to check that out. But what else is in the works at the moment? Yeah, uh, we have a couple of shows in September, uh, but this is like a fly-in shows only. And then in January, we have a tour in Germany and Belgium. Probably we're going we're gonna to add uh, Swiss dates also. In the same leg, and then we are we are planning for until the summer with the summer festivals. We we will be touring the first half of 2024 around Europe, Central South America, Japan. Uh, we're gonna check if we can go to the US also, hopefully. Um, and but then yeah, this is like a touring supporting the album through 2024. All right, and now one final question. Possibly the most important question that I could ever ask after all of that. If you could be any cereal box character, who would you be? Oh, yeah, the Kellogg's one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I think it was, um, um, I don't remember exactly the character. It was an animal, I think, if I remember correct. But okay. the thing is that the Kellogg's were, is very important because uh, when I was a kid, you know, in Chile, it, because of I grew up in a, you know, it was not a it was not a millionaire uh, family, let's say in that way, it was a luxury to have cereals once per month. <laughs> mm -hmm. Wow! So part, it was part of the struggle, uh, but now I see it like something a little bit even romantic. Like you know, at that time it was something that I can get now pretty easy. At that time was was luxury. So it's more valuable for me. I was not expecting an answer of that level of romanticism and quality and valuability for a question <laughs> like, if you could be any cereal box character, <laughs> who would you be? Wow. All right. So now you can figure it out how tough it was to be to be born in Chile at that time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> All right, well, Mr. Ronnie Romero, thank you so much for coming on the show. The new album is Too Many Lies, Too Many Masters. You can get it wherever you get your favorite music. Ronnie's also, as mentioned, going on tour. Dates are in the description for the current set as of right now. Ronnie, you have 30 seconds. Shout out or promote anything that you want. Hope everybody listen to the album. You're going to like it. See you around Europe. America, Japan, everywhere, 2024, I'm going to be in the road to you. All right. Well, thanks again, Ronnie, for coming on the show. I appreciate your time. Thank you. That was Ronnie Romero on the Metal Robot Podcast. It was a pleasure having him on the show. Of course, as always, links to him and his work can be found in the podcast description. Go check him out and let him know the robot sent you. You just listened to MRP, the Metal Robot Podcast. 
And that's our sign to get the fuck out of here. But before we go, I gotta tell you what's coming up in the next episode. We check back with Blackbriar and hear more about the new album, A Dark Euphony. We'll, be, we'll also be joined by Baffled. They've come back to life and really hate 2020. What do I mean by that? I'll tell you more about it in the next episode. In the meantime, thanks for listening to the Metal Robot Podcast. You can follow the show on the internet. YouTube, Metal Robot Reviews, Facebook and Twitter at The Metal Robot, Instagram at The Dot Metal Robot, and head on over to our online hub, TheMetalRobot.com, for all things Metal Robot. Special thanks to Blackbriar and Ronnie Romero for joining us on the show, to you and as well as Scott, Dave, Jen, Ben, and Will for giving their takes on music videos, and of course, to you for listening in every episode. I'm Tom McKay. If you enjoyed this episode and you want more, be sure to subscribe wherever you get your favorite podcasts, and I'll see you in the mosh pit next time. Have a good night. Thank you.